0: Our scripture passage this week is Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front and Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram, Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it el El-Elohi Israel.
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way in which you've blessed us, especially in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for every heavenly gift that is ours through the perfected work of Jesus, his obedience on our behalf. And Lord, we thank you that you have not left us on our own, but by your Spirit are bringing us into the image of your Son that we might glorify you through the way we live our lives. And so, Lord, we seek transformation this morning. Do not leave us as we are, but transform us as you give us understanding through your Spirit from your Word. I pray that you would cause these words to come alive to us this morning and to give us life as you promised to do. Lord, we want to lift up this morning all who are hurting, all who are fearful. May we find our provision in you. May we find our hope in you alone so that we are not disappointed. We look to you this morning in a a time uh, of struggle, a time of hardship for many, in a time of upheaval. And we thank you for all the circumstances that you have allowed, which are designed in your people to draw them closer to you and to pursue you in purity and holiness. Do this in us, we pray, for the glory of Christ Jesus. Amen. We've been looking at the life of Jacob in Genesis. And one of the things we've seen in Jacob is that his inclination towards taking advantage of others uh, through deception and manipulation is merely a symptom of a deeper character issue, which God uh, drives right to the core of in the previous passage, this pervasive problem of self-sufficiency. And last week in Genesis 32, we found Jacob as he was about to cross the river Jabbok into the promised land. His self-sufficiency is crumbling as he finds himself in a position where he is unable to provide for the security of his family. And I, I don't know how the ladies hear that, but as a, as a husband and a father, you hear that, and that is devastating. Before this, Jacob always seemed to be a match for whatever might come. He was blessed with a shrewd intellect and prodigious strength. But sometimes God must take away the things that we have gained ourselves in order to give us what he has to give. And so God brought Jacob to the end of himself and then broke his strength because the path of faith is ultimately the end of self-sufficiency. This is the only way for us to recognize that God is the source of every good thing. Luke 17, 33, we must lose ourselves. Speaking of C.S. Lewis this morning, in the screw tape later, letters, when God, uh, C.S. Lewis observes that when God talks of their losing themselves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. Jacob had done everything he could to prepare for this fearful meeting with Esau, who comes at him now with a powerful militia, but it is the meeting with God on the way, which ultimately prepared Jacob for his second meeting here in this chapter. In Knowing God, one of my favorite books of all time, Jay Packer writes, The nature of Jacob's prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and wrought in him the spirit of submission and self-distrust, that he had desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all his painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by speaking peace to him and assuring him that he need not fear Esau anymore. And so, once the obstacle of Jacob's character is resolved, the obstacle of conflict just dissipates easily. There is no trouble that is troubling to God. Once God has accomplished his purpose in his people, it turns out that there was nothing to fear in the first place. This is our God, he's sovereign. And so we look at every circumstance in our lives as a situation that God has allowed for our good and for His glory, is what He promises. And so after being promised that he has nothing to fear, after receiving deliverance for God, Genesis 33, 1, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him, So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brothers. Brother, sorry. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So, the last scene introduced the incoming threat Esau and his 400. And there, Jacob lined up his possessions and family to best protect what was important to him. First, his own life, that was the most important. And then, secondly, his favorite wife and son. And then he put the, the slave wives and their children out in front, essentially to be killed first, followed by the unfavored Leah and her children. And then Rachel and Joseph are tucked into the back where they'd be the safest. And then the initial plan was that Jacob would stay behind. But after his crippling victory at Peniel, this magnificent defeat at God's hand, Jacob's pass on ahead of me, Genesis thirty-two sixteen, became, verse 3 here, he himself went on before them. I find that it's really interesting because this is a radical shift from Jacob's original namesake. Remember, God has just renamed him Israel, but Jacob, if we read Jacob, the meaning of that word in the best possible light, it means rear guard. It's really actually what this name probably symbolized when the parents called him that. He was the second-born son, and they're like, here comes the rear guard, Jacob. And then Esau reinterprets this name as the heel grabber, the one who's at your back, not necessarily for a good reason. Depending on whether you're someone reliable or not, would depend on whether you're the rear guard or, uh, you know, someone with a knife in your back. And so Jacob has this, this radical shift. What a name that meant rear guard. He has now become the vanguard. He's out in front. As Israel, for whom and with whom God fights. The meaning of this name Israel, God fights. And so he's at the front now. It's a a radical shift. But despite this transformation of name and character, we still see some of Jacob's old habits and tactics all the way through this chapter. Despite the realization that God would deliver him from danger, he still employed measures that were troubling and unnecessary. Imagine, if you will, being one of these family members lined up in this way. Okay, you're kind of more important than him, so we'll put you out front. So when they come with the swords, your body might protect theirs. And this favoritism And the jealousy it causes will result in some pretty significant issues among Jacob's children later on in the story. And of course, God will use all of it for his purpose and cause good to Jacob's family through it. But this shows that Jacob hasn't been perfected by any sense. We see, as we saw with Abraham and Isaac before him, that when Jacob receives faith, it does not instantly perfect all of his thoughts and behaviors. And throughout the the remainder of this chapter, we are left wondering which parts of Jacob's behaviors here are the result of his God-given faith and which are elements of his former nature still exhibiting themselves when he fails to walk in faith. Especially at the end of the chapter when Jacob pretends as though he will follow Esau to Seir and then instead heads the the opposite direction. Okay, so we, we see these behaviors of Jacob, and it's hard to work out which ones of these are because God's doing a work in him, which are the, of these are his old behaviors. And we saw the same struggle in Abraham, who immediately following the passage that declared that his faith was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6, right on the heels of that he initiates all the foolishness with Hagar, and then later threw his wife under the bus to protect his own skin by lying to she, say she was not his wife, but his sister Uh, we see these intermittent failures. Last week when I was talking about this in the life of Abraham and Jacob, I have to confess to you, I inadvertently used the exact wrong terminology uh, repeatedly. Uh, I liked the alliteration. Several times I said, Jacob's faith faltered. And that is actually not at all correct. So let me give you a correction to that. Faith faltered is a gift from God. And as such, Romans 4.20, faith does not falter. The hymn we sing gets it right. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. Faith doesn't falter. The faithful may falter when we fail to walk in faith. See, I can still work in some alliteration. The faithful may falter when we fail to walk in faith, but faith does not fail us. It is no wonder then that one of the most repeated commands of Scripture is to remember. Remember what God has done. Remember the faithfulness of God which produced faith in us. And so we either walk in faith or not, but faith is secure. Our faith is sturdy. Sturdy. Because it is the work of God. Faith is not the work of a man. Faith is the work of God. Therefore, faith does not falter, but we falter all the time. So, my main point last week was not wrong, but I said it wrong. Forgive me. So, Jacob does not perfectly love his family. And then when he finally meets up with Esau, he may not be fully trusting God's protection when he gives up his blessing and grovels before him, bowing seven times, and having his whole family come in waves to bow before him. We can be comforted, though, today, when we fail to trust God. Although there are consequences, and God promises to discipline those he loves, we know that we have not derailed God's plan and purpose for our lives. When the brothers are reunited after over 20 years... Rather than to seek vengeance for Jacob's deception verse 4 Esau greets Jacob as a long lost brother ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept This is the deliverance which God had promised to Jacob and the reason why Jacob now leads his family into this meeting rather than maintaining the place of safety in the rear guard And then it continues verse 5 And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And at last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. So we see Esau greets Jacob as a beloved brother, but, and after this, this long separation. But in contrast, Jacob greets Esau as one would a dangerous warlord bearing a grudge. He comes to him bowing and giving magnificent gifts. First, he abases himself seven times as they draw near verse 3, which was common protocol in the throne rooms of ancient kings, especially with someone that they were displeased with. And now he uses the language of a servant addressing their Lord, repeatedly calling Esau Lord, as he brings him a massive tribute of 550 of his herd animals. Much of this seems to reverse everything that God had promised to Jacob. In fact, it seems an entire reversal of what was promised to Jacob. Genesis 26-23, that the older shall serve the younger... And Genesis 27, 29, be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. So what God has spoken over the life of Jacob is now seemed to be inverse. Jacob is bowing to Esau, which is not at all what the prophecy said, and Esau gets the stuff. All this seems like Jacob has given up on the promise of God, but his faith has not faltered, as we will clearly see. Whether it is motivated by fear or faith, or more likely a mixture of both, uh, Jacob attempts to restore to Esau everything that he had tried to take from him in order to appease him. We know this is Jacob's purpose because, quite uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically, he is completely honest about his motives, maybe for the first time in the Bible. And in verse 8, he says that his purpose in this is to find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Jacob has done this to find favor, to appease Esau. By faith, he believed that God would deliver him. But he's not above doing what he can to aid that deliverance. We don't know whether his actions here are pure. Or motivated by trust that God would provide, or if they were a result of fear and failure to trust, we we can't sort out all the variables of Jacob's heart, and it's telling that the author doesn't even try here. He just records what happens. But we can see that a transformation has begun. The fearful is leading from the front the shrewd and deceitful schemer is replaced with the shrewd and honest diplomat the desperate man who is willing to do anything at all to get what he desired is here giving it all away he recognizes that his possessions and prestige are far less valuable than the promise he bears The new loose grasp with which Jacob holds to the position and the valuables that he sought throughout his life up until now is expressed in the parable which Jesus taught in Luke 16 of the shrewd servant who gave away all the temporary wealth he was managing in order to gain lasting favor with those around him. It's a a lengthy parable and not one that I can quickly explain here, but I, I am reminded of a time a few years ago when I was in a fender bender, which could have conceivably been partially my fault. I I won't waste your time with my excuses. Uh, But I met later with the other driver at Starbucks here in town, and we started talking, and he asked me all about what I did, and I began to tell him what I did and and to share with him the gospel. And, And he did not repent and believe, but after our chat... I was presented with what I thought was an inconceivably large bill uh, for the the slightest scratch on his bumper. I, I so desperately want to explain what happened, but I move on. Tiny little scratch. Wasn't really my fault. Courtney and I had very little at this time. But what we had, we knew to be the provision of God. And so... I happily paid what was the majority of our monthly income to this man. And when he stood up to leave, I realized that people all around us had been listening intently to our conversation. It's the first time this, anything like this has happened to me. I looked around as he stood up, and all the tables around were not talking to each other. They were all looking at us. Very disconcerting. Listening intently to our conversation, and as soon as he was gone, a couple of them began to pepper me with questions, like from their table, asking me questions, and they didn't care about the car accident. I, I, I had people, at least two people, were asking me questions across the tables about our church and the gospel I was preaching to this man. And so I left Starbucks with an empty wallet and a full heart. Not because I had made such a great decision, but because God had changed my value system. And in this way, the gospel is shown to be beautiful in my life to the people of Camrose. Now, like Jacob, I don't always walk in such faith. I often tell people, beware of a preacher who is the hero of their own story. So just remember, I also made a mistake last week when I was preaching. In the end here, Esau tries to reject Jacob's gift. We come to understand that he desires to renew their brotherhood and live together. And it's actually often why we read this and Esau looks like he's the really nice guy and Jacob, not so much. Because Esau is like, come on, let's go live at Seir. I forgive you, let's move on. And, but Jacob understands this is not God's plan for his life. He's now no longer an Aramean, but he can't now become an Edomite. God is making of him a new nation, Israel. And so they leave the family in Padan Aram, and now he cannot go with his family where Esau would lead the Edomites. God has a new direction for him. Verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Saccath and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Saccath, which means booths. For Jacob to follow Esau into Seir would have been direct disobedience to God. And counter to the plan God had revealed for his life thus far. And so Jacob is trying graciously to disengage himself with Esau without offending him. First by declining Esau's escort and then by heading in the complete opposite direction once they leave. It seems that Jacob still has some deception in him after all. But it is actually just as likely that Esau understands here that Jacob is politely declining a continuing relationship. So different scholars read this different ways. Is Jacob truly tricking him? He may be. Maybe he's still out of fear. He he knows he has to go do the right thing, and out of fear he lies about it. That's absolutely a possibility. It's also possible that Esau gets it, that Jacob's like, oh, let me find favor, let me find favor so that he looks good, but no, I'm not really going to do what you're asking me to do. In chapter 31, Jacob made a covenant of peace with the Aramean Laban. Now he makes peace with his Edomite brother, but to dwell with either of them would take him away from his vow and from God's promise. He is heading to Shechem by way of a temporary dwelling in Succoth. Esau, on the other hand, the man who was rejected by God and who despised his birthright, leaves Canaan having no part in the land nor in the eternal kingdom of God. He leaves the scene having been given all the honor, all the titles, the lordly position, and the gifts that he and Jacob had so desperately wanted. But by now the audience understands that the blessing and promise which Jacob has received is all that matters. Esau leaves with everything, And if you've been following the story of Jacob and Esau, you know that he has nothing. Later, God will remind Israel of his love for them by contrast with his treatment of them with that of Esau's family. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. So Esau has the temporary blessings, the honor, the position, the possessions that Jacob once valued so highly. Spoiler, Jacob's family just happens to be heading into a famine and then 400 years of slavery. According to God's own divine decree. But a great reversal awaits them in the culmination of God's kingdom. Esau goes away enriched, but in fact has nothing. Jacob has all that he needs. Verse 18 And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paran Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, which means the mighty God of Israel. Now, this is Israel's, or Jacob's new name. He is Israel. The nation of Israel will come from him. And so he names this altar a, a place of worship of the God of Jacob, although it's his new name, the God of Israel. Jacob can hold lightly to all his provisions because he recognizes that he dwells with the Provider. When he comes to the end, and this is the place of worship of God, Jacob is saying, I am with God. God dwells with us. God takes his strength, destroying his self-sufficiency so that his name can become Israel. God fights. The security of God's people is not in their strength, but that God will go to war for them. So Jacob gives up his wealth in trade for the unlimited and perfect supply of fellowship with God. Jacob gives up his rights to Esau. And in doing so, becomes the family leader God promised he would be all along. once we know who we are in Christ, once we know what we have received, we are no longer those who are grasping for these things. God defeats the grasping and deception and greed in us, not by slapping our hand repeatedly, but by showing us that we already have so much more in Him. And this, despite His foibles, Despite his faltering and failure to walk in faith, Jacob has faith and knows what he has received. Now that God has shown himself trustworthy in all of these things, Jacob becomes now a faithful witness in the land of Canaan. Just as and where his grandfather Abraham worshipped. So God has brought him full circle through all the things that he suffered. The the faith of Abraham is now the faith of Jacob. The blessing of Abraham is now the blessing of Jacob, just as God promised Abraham that it would continue down through the ages. But God is also at work personally in Jacob, bringing him to this point of trust. And now he worships and builds an altar where his grandfather once built one and worships among the, the pagans, glorifying God. Jacob, as we've seen throughout this chapter, gives credit to God's grace for everything that he has. His children, verse 5, his property, verse 11, and his deliverance, Genesis 32, 30. Jacob has now been prepared by God to be one who worships out of genuine thanksgiving and praise. He doesn't worship to see what he can get from God. He worships in truth, glorifying God because of what God has done. And so Jacob's worship at El Elohi Israel is the fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob and Jacob's vow in response. This is full circle because this is what God had promised. This is what Jacob had vowed. And now this is the, the climax of the Jacob story when he worships here. Turn back uh, with me to Genesis 28. We'll read verses 15, God's promise, and then verses 20 to 22, Jacob's vow. God's promise, verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob's vow then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Father we thank you so much for the blessing of your promise. And we thank you that through your continuing faithfulness that you so perfectly keep everything that you promise and we grow in our understanding of that that we can begin to be those who live in the reality of it. For weeks now we've been looking at maybe one of the worst guys in the Bible And watching how you bring him to a place of trust. Watching how you bring him from being this deceitful dirtbag into being one who is willing to give up what he has because of his trust in your provision. Who is willing to lower himself and humble himself before a brother who doesn't deserve it. Because you have promised his place and position. Do this in us, I pray. Show us who we are in Christ. That we could walk confidently in that without grasping. Without fighting. Without pushing our way to the front. Without trying to have titles or positions of honor. That we could love the way you have loved. Having received every good thing from you. Transform us, I pray. Amen.